This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to a special bonus Happy New Year edition of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, festooned in something very colourful and very special, if I may <laughs> say so myself, we have uh, Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome and smiley horticulturalist. Well, thank you very much. What a wonderful welcome. Well, over in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis, Maria Sophia Fredrickson, and she still has a Christmas tree up. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. I've taken mine down because... I don't know. I think it's this mild weather yeah. that we've been having for the past few days. And suddenly it feels very, very spring-like. And doesn't it look spring-like in the garden? It's wonderful. And I, I have to confess, even I probably am a little bit in two minds about whether to still have the decorations up. They will. Uh, it's a proper twelfth night affair in our household. Mm. Um, well, it is in my books. The other half would probably have had them down days ago, but I've been fighting their corner. So sorry if the Christmas tree is upsetting, but I have been loath to let it go. Um, but you're right outside. Such mild weather. So many things springing into life. It is wonderful. Birds singing. Fabulous. Yeah, it's um, it's worrying in in some ways. I sort of worry about sort of um. You know, getting too warm. And my tortoise, I mean, he lives in the greenhouse anyway, so it never goes below freezing. But he's been very active over the past few days, um, even though we opened all the, all the doors in the greenhouse. Um, and I was just sort of wondering whether or not perhaps frogs and toads and mm. maybe the odd hedgehog might be feeling the same, you know, a bit premature. Yeah, well, it um, certainly lifts the spirits. But I, I try not to worry because there's so much to worry about in life. And I am always inclined towards the worrying side. So it gets mild and I start thinking, oh, no, are things going to get frosted. And the, are the, what is the wildlife all right? And yeah. I'm trying to let it go and just be happy about it. Yeah, but, you know, it, it actually it, nature is very, very clever. I mean, it always kind of writes itself at some point or another. I know we're going through a difficult time with climate change and all the rest of it. Um, and some parts of the world have suffered a lot more than we have. Um, but, you know, did you notice that the, I think it was either New Year's Day or Old Year's Night, whichever you like to say, um, I think the, the, the lowest, you know, the highest temperature that had been recorded previously was in something like 1906 or 1916. Yeah. Well, you know, if it did it then and it's doing it now, it, we've been there before. And in, in the fairly recent past as well. So it's not as if it was going back centuries or something. So, oh, no, I'm not too worried about it. I was fascinated by... What made me laugh, really, was I'm looking at some of the camellias that I buy, Sasanqua varieties, which are Japanese, and they always flower very, very early. They start in about November. Um, and they take, and then the Japonicas and the other type take over, you see, from a reticulatus and everything. They take over from them. And this year, of course, that's my dogs. That's my darling dogs. <laughs> that's my dog. <laughs> They always choose a moment like this to have a fight or a tussle. I was just thinking that I, you know, spend money on all these early flowering camellias. And, you know, the regular camellias that you expect to flower after Christmas, they're flowering as well. So I have to say that some of the best camellias I have are unnamed. And the reason that they're unnamed and they've reached a fairly sort of decent size is because that when we first started the garden here, and we, you know, we started with absolutely nothing, 
um, and we needed plants to furnish the garden at relatively inexpensive prices. And the way of doing that was you could go to the auctions, the plant auctions in Wisbeach, and you could buy camellias, wonderful, healthy looking, big bushes, you know, a metre tall or something. Um, and you could buy them for very little money, but they unfortunately come without a name. Um, so that's that's a, a bit of a bind. But, you know, some I've been able to recognise over the years with the help of a few botanical beasts that stroll through the garden, you know. Um, some I never will, I don't suppose. I mean, the other thing that fascinates me about camellias is their power of um, regrowth after a very heavy cutback. We've got two big bushes of Adolphe Adusson. It's a double red camellia. Um, and I cut them hard back to stumps. They're about... 15 feet tall, and I cut them back to probably about four feet tall and just left bare branches. Nothing much happens for the first three or four months after you cut them back like that. And then suddenly the little buds appear on the surface and you know that your plant is going to live. And after all, it's got the huge rootstock underneath it when it's a plant that's been that big and it produces all this fresh growth. They're a bit water, like water shoots at the, at the start, but they soon harden up. And two years after I cut them hard back this year, we've got flower buds on them again. That's not bad, is it really? <laughs> not bad at all. Um, talking of flowers, I'm not sure you um, you do it anymore, but you always used to do a, a Christmas Day flower count around East Ruston. But I think you've, <laughs> I think for reasons um, of... Chopperness. I don't think it happens anymore. Well, it didn't this year because um, two reasons, really. One is the fact that, I mean, it's a crazy season anyway. And the other is the fact that in, in an effort to get um, ready for reopening, believe it or not, we cut back much more than we used to earlier on. I mean, there are sections of the garden I leave for, well, because simply because we can't get round to it, but I mean, for, for wildlife and or everything else, um, and don't worry about it. But so much of the garden gets cut down now before Christmas um, in an effort to, you know, get it ready for, well, we, ne our next opening is February the 6th, which is our snowdrop day. Um, and, you know, the snowdrops, I mean, I've got masses and masses and masses of snowdrops. <laughs> and, you know, the ordinary Aranthus or Aconite, there's two of those in flower. Um, I don't know why, they don't grow so well for me, you know. They never did grow very well for Christopher Lloyd. Does that a good mean... company then. Well, yeah, but does that mean that my other plants are going to grow better for me because the Aconites don't? I wonder. I think there's I should... got to be something along with the blue poppy that you can't grow triumphantly East Ruston just to make everyone else feel a bit better. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's a case in point. I suppose I could try that. I haven't been down to look at the car park because where the uh, paying kiosk is on the car park, we, we put carpet to snowdrops and aconites down there. So there may be some out down there. I haven't been down there yet. I assume three ships has been flowering. Oh, three ships, yes. But you see, the thing is, three ships is always a good regular Christmas Day flower. Um, hence the name, saw three ships come sailing by on Christmas Day in the morning. And um, there's so many others that are, that are out as well. But three ships, I went past it this morning when I took the dogs out about 7.30. And the bells are hanging there, but they're open. Now, snowdrops only really open like that on very, very warm days in quite, you know, mid-spring or something. So they're not going to last forever once they're open like that. Um, obviously hoping to attract a pollinator. Yeah. And my route takes me past about four or five bushes of Daphne Bula, various oh. named forms. Um, and the scent is just incredible. I mean, it really is. I think if I could grow one plant, it would be Daphne Bula. Um, because it's, it's, a, it's a winter, it's a wonderful winter plant. 
um, depending on which name variety you buy, you can either have white or various shades of mucky looking pink flowers. Um, the white one is absolutely fabulous. I've got a white seedling that I produced um, in the garden here, but that's a bit later. Um, because they're seed grown, they're, you know, clonally different from their parents. Um, so they each have their own sort of little sort of set of habits, a bit like children, really. You know, you get a good one and you get a very brilliant <laughs> one and you get a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the garden at the moment is a joy. Do you know, um, my friend Richard, who um, he runs a wholesale nursery and he sends me a list at the end of the season. Um, of various plants that he wants to get rid of. And they could be anything from um, a tree in a, in a 40 litre tub to, um, you know, just three of this and two of that, just things that have been left over. And so I buy what I like off this list and it came just before Christmas and I went and loaded up the trolley and it's outside my window here now because I've, I've got this far with it and it's still got nearly all its plants on it. Uh, you know, it's where shall I put this? Where shall I put that? I mean, there's an Edgeworthier on there, which is such a, a lovely early spring flowering plant, which I didn't think I'd ever be able to grow. And then I saw it flowering at Wisley. It was in two bays on the front of the house at Wisley. And, and that's a cold garden. That's what I'm try, trying to say, because I thought I'd be, it would be too tender for me. And it was planted there and it was flowering. It was quite early in spring one time when I was there. And I thought Richard had an Edgeworthier. Well, I've got an Edgeworthier already, but I thought, well, you know, this is a nice chance to have an, um, one in a um, 15 litre pot or something like that. Big plant, get started. I found one in the garden the other day that's now got so big, it's got to have some limbs taken off it. So that's another head scratcher because I can't just put it anywhere. I've got to put it somewhere where it can <laughs> smile, shall we say. <laughs> I think this is a funny time of year because you start to look around and think you've got some spaces which you haven't really got and you get excited about the seed lists and the plant catalogues and all the things that could be in the coming year and then you have to sort of try and remember that you have other like if you're I mean you're in your garden all the time but for me I have to remember that I don't have that much time for watering containers and feeding yeah. them and and so I get carried away and then I have to try and rein myself in which we all know is quite um well, doesn't happen very often <laughs> But it's 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 such an exciting time. I mean, I've already been sort of scouring so many lists. I've got wherever I've put it, um, Derry's special plant seed list, which is sort of. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is funny because you do end up uh, every year. Once I've grown things from seed or bought things in, you just, especially in a small garden, end up wandering around with these plants, trying to find homes for them. At least you've got thirty-two acres. <laughs> no, I know, but it's still you know everything's relative, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, you have got rather more plants than most of us as well. I think I have probably, but I mean, <laughs> because we sow lots of seed and we do lots of cuttings and dividing. Um, interestingly enough, I was taking root cuttings the other day um, and uh, on New Year's Day, actually, we had a piece of trellis blow down in the Diamond Jubilee Wall Garden, which was on a south facing wall. And it took with it um, a crimson Bengal rose. I could have left the rose and tried to pull it back, but I decided that we would rejuvenate the rose. So we cut everything down to about two feet. Now, underneath that rose, there's is a favorite plant of yours, which is Cobia pringlii. <laughs> Cobia pringlii is notoriously difficult to grow from stem cuttings. And so I thought, well, I don't know, I'll have a root and rootle around under here. So Ian and I rootled around underneath the tree and we found some very, very interesting sort of roots with sort of shoots on the end of them. 
So I'm hoping that the 24 cuttings that I've pots that I did, I may have about 20 pots that will, will produce new plants. Oh, they all will. But you know, you never know. That's exciting. I did manage to get a Pringley eye to, to root, but it then it, it didn't last. Oh, it, didn't. You know, it, it, it rooted and I was very excited. It was when I thought I'd killed it or was in the process of killing it. I found a bit and I took some cuttings just in case. And I did get one to take, but th then I lost it. So it didn't well, go that well. I think I may have got one out of 12 to take in my propagating house. Yeah. I just went and just give a little tug to them the other day. I mean, they, I took the cuttings a month, five weeks ago. And one is, is showing resistance. Now, whether that is roots or whether I jammed it in with such force that I can't get it to move, I don't know. We'll have to see. What a nice way to spend New Year's Day, though. I assume in the, the Grey household, there's quite a lot of, of gardening around Christmas and New Year. Oh, there's been log splitting and there's gardening. Um, Graham's building lots of walls, new walls in the desert. The funny thing is that he was up there the other day because, you know, you get... You leave it because you want it to look naturalistic. And then it looks a little too naturalistic. <laughs> so you really know that you've got to go in and edit. Um, and what do you leave and what do you take out? And so we walk around the desert, we discuss it and um, all the rest of it. One thing that I thought was particularly lovely in the desert, which is a self-sown group, and that was a silver leaf mullion of a Bascom with, with you know, very upright, bright yellow spires, lovely silvery leaves, at the moment, they look like big silver starfish on the ground, and they look lovely with the flints that he's, he's using, you see. So I said, well, leave those. So he said, well, I wasn't going to take those out. But he, he's, he, he, people throw up their hands in horror when I tell them he chucks Agapanthus away. <laughs> because they, they, uh, they self-seed um, incontinently, dare I say. <laughs> And there's hundreds of them everywhere, everywhere. Um, but there isn't really an ugly one, unfortunately. That's the problem with, yeah. with Agapanthus, I think. Um, but there, there are some that are better than others, obviously, because, again, you know, they're all different from their mums and dads, aren't they? It's that thing you say about the desert wash where it's basically a seed tray. So you get so many things self-seeding, like you had to chuck out loads of that Aringium the other day. Yeah, um, and Delifolium, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that does the same. But, that's good though, isn't it? Well, it's great. I mean, it doesn't happen with aconites, but it might happen with something else. <laughs> exactly. You can't have it all. I've got an aconite that is self-seeding very well, but always into the path. And so I think for the, it's one that came from Joe Sharman. It's a name variety and I can't remember it. It self-seeds into the path. And then it's a question of, do I get there first or does Graham come along with the path weed killer? <laughs> and so far he's won, I'm afraid. <laughs> When I popped around before Christmas, he'd, he'd lost the key to get to the weed killer. What, were you perchance trying to hide it? <laughs> no, I wasn't. But we did find it. Did you, you know what happened? The key had dropped from its hiding place. It had dropped into some ivy. And of course, it's, uh, because it's kept outside the key, it, it's got slightly rusty and you couldn't see it very well. But I mean, he went to his toolkit and he found a magnet. <laughs> Not just any magnet, a very powerful magnet. And this magnet, it has, it's on a stem that... It's like a telescope. <laughs> so he pulls it out to its full length and he goes rootling around. Like, there, I found it. <laughs> like the most Graham tool ever, though. Like the most sophisticated, yep. high-end tool yeah. to pull out of a toolbox. Well, yeah. I, I popped over before Christmas to do an exchange of gifts. And I saved up the gift that you'd got me uh, until Boxing Day. So I was very tardy opening, but I was glad I'd saved it. Because alongside a couple of lovely books, 
Well, this marvellous, marvellous tool. I quite like the fact that it's almost heart-shaped as well. And <laughs> that it's got my name on it. Yes. I mean, what a lovely touch. Would you like to say anything about this particular, this particular fantastic tool? Well, I was put in touch with this particular... Um, <laughs> I think you know the tale of it. Um, by uh, our, our mutual friend, Margaret, Margaret Hope. Um, and she sent me some pictures of this particular tool that she'd got with her name on it. And she said, um, in case you want to buy some, somebody a Christmas present, and I know Thordis would like that. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> done, Margaret. <laughs> so I got in touch with them and, I, and she said, you better get in quick because they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a long time to do all the initialing and everything. Um, anyway, I got in touch with them and I ordered four. I ordered one for you, one for Graham, one for Ian and one for myself. Um, we only got the initials on our initials on ours. We didn't get the full um, full address. Um, but anyway, um, I was amazed. I, I, I rang them up and said, can I have this? Yes, no problem. They were there in, in two weeks. You know, Schneeber tools. I mean, they are the most lovely people to deal with. And they're always happy and very jovial. Um, I tell the tale again. He said, my, my, my forks and my spades will last for 100 years. I said, how do you know that? He said, I don't, but I won't be here in 100 years. <laughs> so I was very lucky and very excited to, to open this on Boxing Day and I um, I got they are, they are such good quality um, tools they really are I mean you know they're they're top of the range they sell them at the shop at Great in Great Dixter um, in East Sussex and I think if they're good enough for Great Dixter they better be good enough for Alan Gray don't you is it a Dutch hand trowel is that what well, it's I don't know. It's with I don't know what it is really. I mean, it probably is a duck. It's I would think coming from as they do from Holland, it's probably a derivative, an old of an old sort of cabbage planting spade or something like yeah. that. We have them on the fens here, but they were like miniature spade blades. Um, some often had a T handle or something. I've got one or two old ones that I use in the garden here. But I mean, they're you know that they are that, that tool treated well. I mean, I think it should be here in a hundred years. Well, fingers it's crossed. Stainless, it's stainless steel, you know. It's it's um, it's proper. It's well made, handmade, and damned expensive. If you don't mind me saying so. But darling, you're worth it. <laughs> well, um, your your uh, your gift wasn't anywhere near as expensive, but you are wearing it, and it does look lovely I on am you. Wearing it. <laughs> I showed it to Sally this morning, who very kindly came and tidied the house up for me, um, and she said, "Oh." She was just drooling at it. And she says, however does she do? She is clever. Well, I must say, it looks much more complicated than it is. It's all knitting and purling and slipping, really. Too much information, darling. Too much information. <laughs> just revel in the adoration. Well, I'm glad you like it anyway. It's always a bit of a testing thing when you knit something for somebody. You just, you're always worried that they won't like it. But there we go. You do. <laughs> <laughs> and at least you can bundle up. If the weather does get colder, at least you'll be able to bundle up. I think as of tomorrow, it's going to, the temperature is going to drop. Um, we are in for another little cold spell, I think, but we may get another warm, one of these warm fronts. And I always think it's interesting because all this lovely warm air is coming up from the Azores. I wonder how many people know that much about the Azores. I mean, the gr group of island, uh, islands out in the Atlantic Ocean, and they, they have this Gulf Stream that goes over them. And they're, I mean, they're very wet. They are home, to the only home to certain types of plants. I mean, you various euphorbias and things like that. I mean, it's very interesting. 
I was talking about um, seed lists and plant lists and things. I, I think one of the best times or one of the best things about Christmas time, if you're a gardener, is hopefully you get a little window of opportunity to have uh, a moment or two to yourself to actually mull over, you know, gardening books you might have been given or seed mm. lists or whatever. Have you been sort of having that time? Are there things that you've been ordering? Are there books that you've been reading? I've been reading various books. I mean, there's a lovely new book about um, Chatsworth House, which is wonderful. Um, I just love the place. I mean, it's not a house, it's a palace, isn't it, for goodness <laughs> sake. Um, and, you know, you sort of think, how could two people just rattle around in there on their own? But I mean, they don't particularly. I mean, there's, you know, there are other people that, that, that are there. Um, but I just, I was fascinated by the fact that Christmas has become, and I wouldn't say a saviour, but a very important um, part of the calendar for lots of stately homes. Chatsworth started it, I think, probably. Um, now, um, Holcomb Hall in Norfolk, they have a great Christmas thing, and so do several other places. Burley. Well. Yeah, Burley, yeah. Our dear friend Joe, I mean... Very um, busy time. <laughs> yeah, very busy. Um, and, you know, people love to go and see, I suppose, how the other half lives, and, you know, can you walk into... A, you can't walk into many rooms when there's a Christmas tree that's 25 feet tall, can you? <laughs> <laughs> not even at yours. No, not even at mine. Certainly not at mine, no. <laughs> <laughs> no so I mean yeah I, I, uh, other books what other books have I been reading is I'm reading a book on Q I don't know if that's particularly new but that's interesting um did you know that the giant water lily that they have in the ponds in Kew Gardens is so aggressive and in no time will it completely fill a lake or a riverbed to the exclusion of everything else <laughs> it's so big I mean, and you can actually sit a baby on one of the pads and it, if you want to get rid of it. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it will support the weight of a child, small child. I mean, it is quite a fascinating thing. I won't say it fills you with dread, but I mean, it makes me think, you know, you have a plant, it's a bit, well, take Japanese knotweed. The Victorians planted Japanese knotweed as an exotic plant from wherever, wherever it came from. I don't even know where it came from, but it's taken over everywhere almost where it's been planted. Um, and it is a very invasive weed. And so would the, um, if it lived outside, it can't live outside uh, that um, giant water lily because yeah. it needs warm temperatures um, and frost would kill it. But, you know, plants are, one has to be careful what one plants, you know. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I mean, I kind of, I've always had a lot of weed appreciation and I kind of take my hat off to some plants, you know, their ability to survive, whatever that funny little spurgy thing is, that little weed that just, uh, my whole front garden it is an absolute nightmare and it's got that kind of sap that you have to put your gloves on really to, to what I always try to before I pull it out. Penelope Hobhouse, um, she came to the garden one day and she was talking to me about it and just after she'd moved into her new house, which I think was something like a barn conversion, beautifully done, uh, she said she leaves it because it's the most inoffensive looking weed that I know. And I quite like it. it, it it's a nice little dumpy thing. and It's a bright, bright shade of green and I love it. Yeah, um, I, I don't mind it in some places, but it's definitely like next level, I think, in a very small garden, in my garden, it, it wants to grow everywhere I want other things to grow. So I kind of, I pull it out sometimes, but it just all, you can never conquer it. It always manages to come back. It's very hard to pull out. And I kind of have to stop and marvel and just think, well, why fight you? You're, you're yeah. so good at your growing. I think the thing is with weeds like that, when they're very juvenile, 
they're very difficult to get rid of anyway because they're fiddly and all the rest of it. It's when they become intrusive and they're sort of pushing things out of the way. That's when you've got to get in there and yank them out. I was taken in by a plant called Trachylospermum asiaticum. And it had the most wonderful description. Um, very early in the year, these little buds appear on a biggish plant, um, little buds appear and they look like tiny cyclamen flowers. And they do. And they're sort of a bluey mauve and white. Um, and they gradually elongate until they get to about, I don't know, 30 centimetres tall. And it's ahead of these lovely little flowers. And then the foliage starts growing. And it's, it's coarse and somewhat a bit leathery and large and dark green. And I thought, I've got just the spot for you. So I put this plant and it did its job. It completely covered the edge of this walkway, which is what I wanted it to do. And then I decided I didn't want it there anymore. But when I went to move it, I had the devil of a job <laughs> because it makes these huge rhizomes under the ground, many of which split. And then like Acanthus mollis or any other Acanthus tribe, you leave a bit behind and that grows too. So you've got to come back and come back. Not only that, it seeds as well. <laughs> so I was digging this out of the garden and somebody came past and they said, what are you doing with all of that? I said, throwing it away. Oh, oh, you know, and I could see the dollar signs lighting up in the eyes, you know. Well, I might be able to get something for nothing here. So they said, can I have some? I said, yes, you can have as much as you like. I said, why don't you take that wheelbarrow full over there? So she said, all right. And she went marching off to the car park with this wheelbarrow to appear two seconds later and said, you don't have a plastic bag, do you? <laughs> Did you warn her what she was about to introduce to her garden? No, because she was very greedy. <laughs> well, I'll think twice before I try and get something for free next time, <laughs> particularly in your garden. <laughs> oh, but I mean, some things that I've got, um, I've, I always want a Chilean glory vine and I'm very happy I've got it, but every so often I kind of have to watch that. Um, I didn't realise it was going to be quite as enthusiastic as it is. And the bottom half of it tends to die down, but the top half just keeps going and it it yeah. can get hold of younger plants and sort of suffocate them. So that's what it does. I mean, we we rip ours out of the hedge because it goes up a Thoya hedge. And I did just manage to save some seed before it um, dropped it all this year. I, I've got the red one. Um, but um, I think it's such a useful thing for yeah. planting at the base of, say, things like climbing roses or something you can scramble and climb through, because then it doesn't matter. You don't look at, look at the naked, naked stems underneath. But it's lovely when it comes out in May or April even, these lovely panicles of bright colour, yeah. orange, yeah. yellow, cream or red. Um, and it's just such a surprise. It's surprisingly hardy as well. Yeah. In a few years it will die. Well, it... it um, Maybe possibly even old age will kill it, but you know, if not, you know, it'll get frosted and it, it, that's it, bang, for the season, which is why I was so keen to have some seed. We've had a little bit of frost here, um, but the the top, all, all of, I've got three, and all of the tops are, are lovely and green. And I think I've probably got a handful of flowers out as well. So it is a lovely, cheery thing, but you're quite right. I mistakenly planted it on my fence. So obviously you then, just have the top and the, yeah. the bottom bit. If, you, if it isn't growing through anything, it's quite ugly. Well, it didn't. No, it's not ugly. It just doesn't look very nice. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going with ugly. <laughs> I I wish I I didn't really have anything to plant it through, though. In fairness, because it was a new garden. But yeah. that, that's that's what I would do if I was planting. Well, that, you it can always you can always redress that by planting something at the basement. Yeah, 
Yeah, so that's what we're working on. And in fact, I can't get to it to look at it, but I've got it um, growing with a fantastically Christmassy named uh, clematis. I think it's called Jingle Bells, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I can't get to it um, to really look at it, but I can see the little bells and the little kind of Chilean Glory vinyl together, which is rather nice. I just need to get in there so I can actually see it up close. Yeah, I, like, I know. I remember there's a nursery in Hertfordshire called Hopley's. Aubrey, who who, had, who ran the nursery, I mean, he owned and ran the nursery, always had an exciting range of plants. There's something called Corazima, which I got from him, which is a winter flowering plant, not tardy, of course, but it has orange and pink on the same flower. You'd love this. Oh. It's jocking pink tops and orange bottoms or the other way around. It has leaves like a little holly. Um, I've lost it, but I did notice that a friend of ours um, has seed of it so hopefully I'll, I'll be able to start that off again oh. but Hopley's had one west end of their house covered with a winter flowering clematis and I think it may it may have been cirrhosa freckles or something like that and it was spectacular but I couldn't help thinking what happens there for the rest of the year <laughs> you know late winter early spring it looked fabulous but then nothing <laughs> so what I, would you what would you have combined it with well, I think clematis probably again, I mean, another sort of form of clematis that you, one, you could cut hard to the ground at the end of the growing season. And then, but then you'd have to disentangle one from the other, or you could, perhaps you could put Cobia pringlii there. Because Cobia pringlii is a very rampant, I mean, this is a gable end of a house, so it's a big area. Um, and Cobia pringlii will easily go 20 feet. Um, and now that would make a wonderful addition to the summer flowers, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. It makes a wonderful addition. So I wish it was, I think when I posted my photo on uh, on Twitter earlier in the year, um, Rosie Hardy commented, she just wished they flowered earlier because they're hard to sell when they flower so late. And I think that probably impacts how readily available it is because obviously if you're running a nursery, you've got to think about these things. Uh, so yeah, if, if we could have one thing out of it, it would be slightly earlier flowers. Yeah, but you see, gardening doesn't stop I mean, you're there, you're out there. I've just been getting some arums to, you know, the aromatallicum pictum types. And some of those are quite rare and, and that means expensive. Um, but it's just lovely. I've been going around the garden noticing more and more of them because I've got a collection of them anyway. And where they sort of um, cross, you know, you get different markings on the leaves. And now that leaf starts into growth probably in November and it comes all the way through until the end of March when you've got very little else flowering. So if you imagine you've got hostas in a shady part of your garden and you've got nothing in the winter, why not interplant the hostas with Aerum metallicum in some of their wonderful varieties? We've got a lovely one called Miss Janet Hall. And Miss Janet Hall has splashes of yellow, bright golden yellow, like shafts of sunlight on the leaves and yellow speckles, as well as patches of green. It's just a lovely thing. And you know, the great Mrs. Gertrude Jekyll, she used to use this arum as, as foliage for cut flowers. And she used to go out into the garden, she'd yank the whole top off the clump and they would come away. So you've got all the leaves and, and a sort of base plate, stick that into a vase of water and poke um, Narcissus through it. Ah. And that's, that's what one of the things she did. And, you know, it's been around forever, but I mean, it's just, why not? Why does anybody not like having fresh foliage in the middle of winter? I think it's ideal and I think it's lovely. I think that it's an exciting thing with gardens. I have, you know, I'm, I'm 
relatively very new to gardening and I'm never planting everything I want to and I'm never getting things right mostly getting things wrong but even in my garden there's still so much to see at this time of year when I haven't really managed to get an all-season interest garden there's loads going on um mm. and it's it's so exciting to go and walk about and see what's growing and what's shooting up and what hellebores are coming into flower and stuff it's just it's wonderful well you see you get some air metallicum in the background shall we say and you, in the foreground you can have all your snowdrops and various varieties of snowdrops we have snowdrops from probably late september early october right the way through until april um, with different varieties. Um, but I would, two varieties I think that are important. One you've already mentioned is um, Three Ships because that flowers at Christmas time. Um, before Three Ships, there's a variety called Barnes um, that flowers um, probably November through until Christmas um, and several others, you know, they all flower about that. And you could have those interspersed with early crocuses and lovely little cyclum and coom. Don't forget cyclum yes. and coom. I found a patch the other day that was slightly overgrown. I've got it on my list to prune the shrub that they're under because the shrub has got so top heavy that you can hardly see the cyclamen. And I planted the cyclamen to be seen, you know. <laughs> we should redress the balance there later on. Um, but, you know, even in the middle of winter, and here we are in the middle of winter, I suppose, we've got warm weather at the moment, but if it should get cold and you've got cyclamen in cumin flower or hellebores um, or any other winter flowering plants, they will, in the frost, they will lay their heads to, down to the horizontal. But as soon as it warms up, up they come again. I mean, it's one of the miracles of science um, in, the, in the horticultural world. And I don't know whether you have this in Cambridgeshire, but there is um, a plant, it's called the false heliotrope. You see it on, it's an, a Mediterranean plant. Somebody brought it over from the Mediterranean. And of course, it's one of those plants like my Trachylus bestemini, uh, Trachylus bermum, I talked about earlier. It's a thug in the garden. I know because I, I put some in the garden, you silly fool. And it's still <laughs> there. But there's parts of it on the roadsides and it just colonises roadside banks and it's blooming now at this time of the year. And it doesn't look terribly frightfully important. It's a sort of a mauvey grey flower. But you gather a bunch of it if you can and just stick it in a little pot in the warmth of the house and the scent is amazing winter heliotrope that's why it's called winter heliotrope <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of inspiration each this i suppose this is why gardening is so rewarding each time of year there's always more inspiration more ideas more things you want to try and, and change yeah. and add uh, that probably should bring us onto some flomo because you've got me thinking about the bed where i probably could put some arums and some, <laughs> and some snowdrops if I dare go down that slippery slope I've been marking I've been marking some of my arums because they they the, the thing about these air metallicums they actually produce a club of berries they have the spadix and the, a spathe as a flower thing like a bit like a sail of a toy yacht then you have a, a club of red berries now lots of people don't want to grow it because they are poisonous and I understand the concern of, of you know worrying about children eating red berries and all that kind of thing. Eventually the berries get taken by the birds and you know what birds do, they sit on top of the hedge and whoops, out to go, and then the seed. Um, so the seed is bird sown all over the garden in various places. And that's why we get some interesting crosses. I've been marking some of those clumps so that I know where they are. So when the leaves actually die down, which will be probably at the beginning of June, before I can then dig them up and separate them into ever larger groups, <laughs> because I, I just think they're so nice yeah. so lovely beautiful carpet of leaves 
Yeah, and a woodland thing in shade. There's not an awful lot that will grow in shade satisfactorily, um, but there's many more things that will grow in shade that are summer of summer interest. But when you're walking through a woodland in winter, how lovely yeah. to be able to see carpets of coloured leaves. Wonderful. I'm feeling inspired. So that's that's now added to my flomo. Thanks very much, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Flomo is that plant that's giving you a fear of missing out, whether it be a flower or something more leafy. And actually, this sort of flower bed in my garden I've been thinking of as you're talking about your arums, um, my kind of one of my little shade beds uh, has, and I can't remember the name of it, but a, a bright green stemmed cornice that I got from our dear friend Richard Hobbs. And uh, it's lovely. But what I really want to do is combine it with a kind of more orange stemmed one. So I get those two stem colours next to each other, not red. I don't want it to look too Christmassy. Um, so I'm thinking maybe is it Annie's winter orange that we've mentioned? Annie's winter orange is big. It's big. Midwinter fire is smaller. Maybe I'll go with midwinter fire then. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I learned that lesson myself because we when we had mid, midwinter fire in the first had it in the um, winter garden, I cut the whole lot down to ground level and they did very little after that. They didn't, they produced some growth, obviously they're still there, but only about 30 centimetres. And so I thought, ah, I've cut you too hard. I've got to be less dramatic or drastic um, with you. And I actually tell you what I found the other day. I was just going through all the plant stand and the storage areas and all the rest of it. And somebody here taking some willow cuttings. And it's the orange stem willow. I can't remember the name of that, but it doesn't matter. Um, but there are these long tom pots, deep pots, full of these lovely orange twigs. Now I have a thing, and this this thing idea came to us when we did Jimmy Blake on the podcast, talking to us, and he something sprang. I this idea sprang into my head that through a group planting, if you have these willows and you pollard them to a, a knop on the top, in other words, you cut them back to a certain height, four or five feet, something like that. What will gradually happen is that the top of the willow will become like a big pole, hence the word pollard. And you can hack back to that every year because it's the new stems that have the breast colour. And I just thought, you know, sparsely planted through an area. What a wonderful thing yeah. it would be for interest. That'd be beautiful. So they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness someone took some cuttings. <laughs> yes. So yeah. maybe midwinter fire. I I wasn't sure. I just liked the idea of Annie's winter orange. It sounded fun, but midwinter well, fire I is mean, obviously I think, beautiful. I think you could prune um, Annie's winter orange harder than you can prune midwinter fire. Mm. So you know the choice is yours. I personally prefer Annie's winter orange. I have to say. Well, we'll we'll have to see which one I lay my hands on. But I, that's my vision is the orange stems next to the green. I, I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Um, on a completely different Flomo front, um, the uh, the Instagram ads always get me. So I was scrolling along and there came Farmer Gracie with Bessera Elegans Coral Drops. Um, just such beautiful little scarlet hanging flowers. And I really don't know anything about Bessera Elegans or whether I should grow it, but I think I might be trying it. <laughs> I've sort of given up on it, to be quite <laughs> honest, and I think it's probably my, probably my fault, actually. Um, but when the photographs are staged, I know not how they get them to stand up and all look so wonderfly uniform. They flop. <laughs> yes, they flop, flip and flopped all over the place, a bit like, you know, a fish when you fish, pull it out of the water, flop, flop, flip, flop, flip, flop. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's a, a, a lovely plant to try, but I think 
before trying it, I did a little bit of research on the yeah. internet to see how various people re- recommend it. Yeah, if you've got any ideas on how I can grow it without it flip-flopping everywhere, please do comment or message us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Help why not? Out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all about sort of other people's experience and, you know, tricks and tips like that. I mean, uh, how to grow this and how to grow mm. it successfully. It's very interesting, I think. Yeah, but I never tried it and it did look right up my street. So we'll see. We'll see how I go. Um, what's on your FLOMO list this week, Mr Gray? Well, it's um, it's a tree. It was in the plant review. It's yep. lovely green hanging tassels and it's a female tree um, and it's Carpinus fangiana and Carpinus, as we all know, is hornbeam. It has larger leaves than the normal hornbeam that we grow as a hedging or a tree in this country. And I just thought how interesting it is. It's just like a waterfall of green cascading flowers. Um, there's something that fascinates people about uh, green flowers anyway I think I, mean, I think we all love green flowers but I'm gonna have to say that Carpinus I didn't realize it was related to Betula ah, no. family. Mm. green flowers I grew um the coach Yana Langsdorfi for the first time this uh, well not this year anymore last year and um they are beautiful and I never realized they had blue pollen that yeah. was ah oh. When I just things that you don't notice when you don't grow something, and then you kind of get up close and personal, you just think, "Wow, they're even more beautiful than I thought." <laughs> There's a Nicotiana that, that grows in the garden here, and I didn't introduce it. I think it came with an in in a seed in the pot with something else, <clears throat> and when it was planted in the garden, the seedlings appeared, um, and it's called a Nicotiana nightiana, and that has little blue edges to the petals and blue pollen on it as well it's a very tall plant it's almost well it's almost gross but not quite <laughs> well let's just say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder but about four people last year said to me could you name this for me because we've not seen it before <laughs> and perhaps that's part of the fascination of growing some plants isn't it if people have not seen them before now they see they see it growing in your garden and they don't realize that it could possibly be a thug yeah. um, and you think well you know why should i be a killjoy they'll find out in time <laughs> <laughs> well it's always fun to find things out for our for ourselves as we all know from parents telling you not to do stuff in the end you just have to make your own mistakes Somebody on, on Desert Island Disc the other day, I've, I've had it on my, in my ears in the garden, um, and she said, my father took me aside one day and he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. I don't think you'll take it, but I just hope that you will. <laughs> I know what, she was about 16 at the time, she said, he said, I know what young girls are like. You think that you know everything there is to know in the world, and of course you don't. Um, but you think I'm a st- silly old duffer, and I'm not. <laughs> Oh, it's a wonderful thing being young. <laughs> it's not so bad when you get a little older, Tony, I tell you. <laughs> we can celebrate all the varying different stages of our life and our gardening life. And um, and I'm sure it's going to be another exciting year in, well, certainly in your garden. It's always an exciting year in your garden. It's an exciting year in everybody's garden, I think, because, you know, we, we can derive all the most wonderful schemes planting schemes in the world and we can try our best in Norfolk to grow blue poppies which we don't <laughs> succeed with but we get some which is important and uh, the most important thing is just to have that blue poppy blooming in the garden 
Um, but we never know what the weather's going to chuck at us. So, I mean, we could have a summer of strange and weird weather, or we could have a very, very hot summer. Yeah. After last summer, I am, I am hoping that it's going to be rather warmer because I think it was in August that Val Bourne came up with her, um, her husband and some children and things, and they were going fossil hunting on the beach about 30 miles from us further around Norfolk at a place called West Runton. Um, so they came to East Ruston on that day because they were not allowed to go on the beach because the sea was so rough and the tide was against them and it was windy. And she said, I've never been so cold in my life. <laughs> and it was a very, very cold August. I think, I don't know whether people remember because quite often you have this inbuilt facility to not remember the, the bad things. Yeah. Like childbirth, I should imagine. <laughs> Fortunately, it's only ever an imagining for you, Alan. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea what the year has to hold. And that is all of the, the fun and the joy. So um, fingers crossed, full of all kinds of wonderful plants. We will hopefully be here every week um, talking to great gardeners and sharing wonderful plants. So thank you for joining us for a little kind of first foray of the year with just us two. And we'll welcome a guest back next week and continue from there. Absolutely. And Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year and happy gardening. Happy gardening. <laughs> hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.